In the past year, Kia America has experienced incredible momentum with a growing portfolio of innovative and award-winning vehicles. Moving forward, Kia is expanding to also usher in a new age of mobility for all. With the strength of a new logo, purpose, and business model, Kia is transforming itself into a symbol of innovation and sustainability. Kia is focused on becoming a leader in mobility and is charging ahead with electrification across their lineup, including the all-electric 2022 EV6, with estimated range of 310 miles depending on trim level and state-of-the-art 800V fast charge capability. But one thing will never change. Kia will continue to provide customers with world-class quality, design, and innovative technology at a great value. Inspiration is contagious. Just like Asian Hustle Network and its amazing network of entrepreneurs who have inspired many by committing to their purposes, Kia will do the same with vehicles inspired by world-class innovation. Kia, movement that inspires. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Sean Shea. Sean is a serial entrepreneur. He currently serves as a CEO of Concrete, building a simple way of saving and investing in commercial real estate for everyone. He was the co-founder and chief product officer of FlowRoute, an award-winning business communications provider focusing on API-driven SMS, SIP trunking, and telecommunication resources. Sean thrives off his lifelong passion for entrepreneurship, technology, culture, design, and hip-hop. His talents have served Fortune 100 companies, including Apple, Linksys, and Motorola, pushing forward new marketing ventures and fostering rapid growth. Sean holds a degree in information and computer science from the University of California, Irvine. He developed his expertise in technology, marketing, and design growing up in Davis, California. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Maggie and Brian. It is awesome to be here. Long overdue, but very excited. (laughs) Definitely long overdue, but we're super excited for you to be on. So let's jump right into it, Sean. Where did you grow up and what was your upbringing like? I grew up, as as you mentioned in in the intro, in in a city called Davis, California. When I was growing up there, it was like a pretty small city. You know, you, you knew all the kids growing up. And my upbringing was really interesting. I was, my parents were immigrants. I grew up in a restaurant family. So we had a lot of what I'm sure a lot of Asian Americans experiences, but like the clash of two cultures. My grandmother also lived with us while I was growing up. So she was in a lot of ways, sort of like the matriarch of our broader family. And she really raised me to have pretty strong traditional values. Uh, So I felt like culturally, like I was very Taiwanese at home. Taiwanese Chinese at home. And then when I would go to school, I would try to be like cool and fit in. And I was trying to really just figure out my own identity. So there was a lot of this, like, you know, ping ponging back and forth between like the two different cultures and figuring out like, where do I fit in and not really feeling like you ever really truly fit in in any of them, but still just trying to make sense of that as a kid. Yeah. But that's sort of my childhood. You know, I was also pretty big, I would say geek. I played a lot of sports, but I, I love technology. So I think I've always been just curious about things. Got into computers when I was pretty young, started building websites and programming when I was 12. And I was doing that for companies for a while. And so that's really what kind of kicked off my, you know, my interest in technology. 
Well, that's, that's awesome, man. I, I really love the fact that you have such a strong interest in technology and it's, it's shown a lot throughout your entire career. Right. And shout out to, uh, UC Irvine. Zot, yeah, Zot, Zot, Zot. I have a lot of pride. <laughs> I wish there was more of us in this field in this game because it's so fun, you know, but, um, it's great hearing about your childhood story and you know, the way that you're brought up and I'm, I'm kind of curious too. How did you get into entrepreneurship? What was your parents' initial reaction of that? What was your grandma's initial reaction of that? Because it's like very untraditional, as you mentioned. You grew up very traditionally. How did they take yeah. that? And how did, they, how did you convince them to believe in you? Because that's the hardest thing with Asian parents, right? It's like yeah. doing something that's like unheard of, right? Yeah. So I'll start with sort of like my parents' story. As they immigrated, I think they also went through a little bit of like job exploration. I think as a lot of our parents do when they come to the States to figure out like what they really want to do. I was lucky, you know, my parents might built a restaurant in, in Davis and it kind of was something that was always there when I was going through school. And so I grew up in a, in a restaurant. Like I remember working at the age of six, like going to wash dishes and to help out. And so I think my family was always very entrepreneurial in, in nature, but also very traditional in expectations. So of course, like when I was, I was growing up, it was like, you're going to become a doctor. I was told that I think, as far back as I can remember with my grandmother, like she would always tell me, my dream is that you turn into this doctor that can just go help all these people. And like, it, there was definitely an identity crisis, I think, as I was going to college, because I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm really good at. Like, I am into technology. I love video games. I, you know, I had a series of hobbies and I just didn't know what I would really be good at in general. But in high school, there's a point in time where I felt like I just wanted to have money to buy gadgets and things that I really enjoyed. And we didn't come from a lot of means. And so my parents weren't in the position to be like, oh yeah, we'll, you know, we'll take care of this and everything. Like my car, my, you know, I didn't get a car until I was really like eight, getting closer to leaving for college. And it was still like a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down where it was like a lot of things weren't working right. So at that point I, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go make some money for myself. I spent a lot of time on the internet. I was just really curious about eBay. So eBay was the marketplace that had just popped up. I remember PayPal wasn't even integrated. It was still like XE.com. And I started looking for opportunities. And this wasn't so much like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to create a business and I'm going to do this. But I just loved tech and gadgets and these, these like little, I got really fascinated with these like miniature looking laptops, like pocket PCs, like had just become a thing. And so I got really latched on to these like devices. And I found that you, you know, if you start buying them in bulk from businesses that were actually going out of business and had all this excess inventory of these devices, I was like, holy crap, there's a lot of margin if I can buy in bulk. So in, in high school, like my parents probably, if I remind them, they're going to want to kill me. But like, I, <laughs> I ended up like borrowing money one night and, and buying a whole batch of, of these devices. And then, so from there I start, like, I woke up the next day and I was like, Oh, I should probably tell them they're going to see a pretty big credit card bill coming through. And that was the first time I think my parents like didn't give me the, the Asian, you know, yell or anything, but just were quiet. They didn't know how to respond. So I felt in that moment, like this crazy need to like succeed. And I was like, okay, that day coming back from school, I figured out how am I going to sell these things on eBay and the first month of, of doing this. And then sort of that, that our like product arbitrage, like I made more money than my parents' business did within like the first few weeks. And I was able to pay back everything and have profit and everything. So 
from there, I think my, my, I, I started earning a little bit of confidence with my parents in terms of like the endeavors that I might kind of tinker or experiment with. And I just kind of kept up with this, like through college. And I, um, I, I started selling laptops from Sony Japan and I started filling in this need in the niche market with CEOs across the United States. And I was like, this is cool. I'm like the laptop guy now on the internet or specifically for these like UMPCs. So that was probably the start. The very first thing I did while also, you know, I was like trying to figure out how I make websites for businesses because I just I was learning HTML. I think a lot of the internet was like picking up the skill and I was just always like, how do I keep leveling up to like make this look better and better and better? And it served each other. Like the, the lessons I learned from how do I sell equipment to even creating a brand and thinking through marketing and how do I, you know, actually make it appear as if I'm not a high school kid, right? Like I'm actually a legitimate business on the internet. So that was really my, my first experience for like being a true entrepreneur and kind of building my own brand. Oh, sorry. And you had asked the question, like, how do my parents feel? Yeah. The conversation around going to college was like, I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to go to computer, study computer science and become an engineer. And my mom, I remember she asked if I could take over the restaurant. If I, you know, when I'm coming back, sort of like hand down the family business. And I think that was the first time I really let my mom down where I told her, no, like, I don't think that's for me. I think that's your guys' dream, but I can help out in a different way, you know, after the fact. And I think for her, you know, I could tell that she was just kind of like, okay, let's just see what, what Sean does and where he goes. Because I, I know at that, that point, like, it didn't feel like I had like the most support, but they were just like, okay, as long as, you know, you're, you're doing well in life, we'll be happy. And so I knew that at that point, like my parents loved me and they just wanted to make sure that like I felt supported, even though I, I kind of let them down in that moment. But I think it was a great opportunity for me to go, okay, let me start to learn to listen to like my gut and, and what is that telling me and how do I sort of latch into that a little bit more. Wow. I love that. That's super powerful. I think like, because they saw your potential and, you know, I think as a child, it's like, you're going to feel guilty for borrowing money. Right. But I think as soon as they saw your potential and saw like, you were actually doing this for like learning and like educating yourself on like how to actually build a business. And they come from like an entrepreneurial mindset as well. So I think like just, you know, seeing you grow as a person and like learning and teaching yourself how to like actually build a business. I think that made them feel more reassured. Yeah. I would have to say like, as I got older, I could see that it was, it was penciling out in their mind a lot more after, you know, building the first company. So can definitely get into that and in the subsequent questions here. Yeah. Let's talk about the first companies right into it, you know, because I know yeah. that you're working on your second company now, but we want to hear more about your first company because how did that get started? I mean, you started this pretty early on in your career, right? At a time where I would arguably say the economy is doing pretty bad at the time. And still having the guts to go out there and start your own startup and be very successful at it, eventually selling it. What was the idea and how did you get started? And give us a timeline too. Like this is sure. during the almost like recession time, right? So that's even more amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we were knee deep in uh, a recession, uh, similar to like now when I started this, uh, started concrete, but I was just coming out of college and I had met my co-founder at the time, like we met in college, both co-founders I, I met in college at UCI, Irvine, and we were all studying computer science. And I think we, we all had enough overlap, like working in, and we were working for a, a telecommunications company, like during college as like really focused on voice over IP. 
And as I graduated, I didn't actually go immediately into building Flowrout. I worked for an ad agency for a little while. So I thought this is really the direction. Like, how do I leverage a little bit of like the computer science that I learned? Also respecting the fact that I have like an artistic background that I've, you know, started helping like some smaller brands like build themselves up. I, I was like, this is probably it for me, the agency life. So I jumped on the agency. I, I didn't really realize like the, the culture was and anyone that works in the agency knows that like, it's really intense, like super intense in terms of work hours. You got even more intense, I think for, in my experience, because we were a boutique agency and we were helping a few different startups launch. So I was blessed with the fact that like, I, I started earning a lot of responsibility very quickly. I found myself in the center building two internet TV startups, thinking through a brand, thinking through uh, more from a creative side, and then thinking through ultimately, like, how do we build a platform and how do we acquire viewers and users? And going through the experience of lifting two internet TV startups in the course of like four or five months, and just feeling like I'm working through every single weekend, every waking hour that I have, like trying to figure out how do I make these things lift. It taught me a lot in terms of how do I grow something from nothing. So I got the, you know, the company's launch and, and got to do a few of the campaigns, which was awesome. And just cut my teeth in a number of areas with a number of clients. And my friends from college where we worked together, they were, you know, they had built a prototype and they're like, Hey, I think this is like going to be awesome. These are all the things that we wanted when we were in college to like be able to use as tools and everything. And, and this is sort of the vision. So I, they had asked me at the time, Jordan Vine to see if I could take a look and maybe help them with the website. And as I got into it, obviously it's your old friend. So I just like looked and was like, I think we need, you guys need a little bit more help than this. So let's, let's tackle this together. Cause I'm in a spot where I feel like, you know, we could be really entrepreneurial and like make a huge stand together the company lifted in the first year. So it was super exciting to see sort of like the fruits of our labor take, take off. It was really tough. The first six months of, of leaving, you know, your first full-time job out of college, feeling like you're transitioning to being an adult, having bills and, you know, just your identity shifting. And then all of a sudden I went and did a 180 and now I'm an entrepreneur again, making $0 you know, the only money that we pay ourselves is for pizzas and burritos, just kind of college student mentality. And we were always so afraid to like pay ourselves anything, even though we were profiting, like, we don't know if this money is really ours or not. And, you know, we're just kind of like, let's just stay focused on, on, on building and focusing on the customer. And we just sort of hustled through all of that for, for the first year. And we got lucky that year. Like we also launched a, a marketing campaign with one of the most notorious hackers on the internet, which is super cool. Um, he gave a presentation at a conference and we built the presentation, like we built the materials and we're like, okay, from a marketing standpoint, we don't want to just come out and say, you know, this guy, Kevin Minnick is sponsored by Flowrout or anything like that. But we built a video that he was doing a demo for. So he effectively was doing a product demo for his talk at this conference. And it just always had the Flowrout logo on the top left. No one had heard of, of us at the time. Right. So people were just like, what is this guy using? Like, you know, and, and we knew right away, like if you take one of like the top part of the most notorious hackers and, and they're doing something where like a lot of people are trying to figure out how to do, there's going to be interest in like, what is that company? So it works like the, the presentation and the materials went viral. It was on Gizmodo at the time. I don't know if people remember Gizmodo, but it was on Gizmodo, Dig, CNET, like 
Oh it man, cool. these old school like websites. Oh man, yeah. I remember them. Different age of the internet and just yeah. a different way that it worked. Yeah. Wait, let's talk about this so, company real quick. What does it do and for our listeners to, to understand more? Sure. Yeah. So Florat was, it started off really as a voice over IP subtracting platform for people that are not in telecom, which is most people. It was just a way for people to make phone calls on the internet to buy phone numbers and to be able to manage it in a much more simple and easy to use way. So back then you would go out and you would sort of like, if, if you weren't doing it through Flowrout, you know, you'd go to like AT&T, Verizon, and, and you'd have to go through these long enterprise sales cycles. And it was all like, we could talk to that account manager, let's negotiate all this stuff. We made it as simple as being able to just go to our website, sign up and get 25 cents of free test credits and make phone calls, to kind of do your own like connection. And everything was self-service on our portal. So it was very novel in the fact that you could control everything that typically would take, you know, two weeks, two months working with another carrier. And we just made that super easy and accessible. From there, we really focused on like the pains of that specific customer, which could have been an IT person working in like a larger enterprise or, you know, like just a bigger company. It could have been like a telephone hacker. It could have been someone that was coming up with a strategic new product for their company. So we ended up working with a number of these new tech companies that were starting. So like at the time, I remember speaking <laughs> with like Airbnb and like they weren't big yet, you know? And so we're like, yeah, we can help you with your phone numbers and everything and, and figure all this stuff out. You know, we had Etsy, GoGo Air, and, and it was just sort of like cool to be able to work with these other really what they were were like engineers, tele, telecommunications engineers, and to build a product that was like hyper-focused on their needs. As the company began to scale and we started taking on larger customers, there's a need to sort of broaden out the horizons of all the tools they were building. So we got into like API-driven communications. We were focused on text messaging. We were one of the, the first companies to build out like a cloud-scalable messaging platform. So that was super cool to do too. And then I also had a few patents that I came up with during that time with like new use cases of, of new sort of tech companies adopting and adopting communications into like the core of their service, especially around like concepts like what we're so used to today when you use DoorDash or Lyft and Uber, like the ability to call a phone number, that's not really the phone number of the driver, right? It's like a pass-through phone number. So there's a lot of really cool use cases. Like if you think about what you can do with telecom back then and even today. So that was the space we were in. I love that. I mean, that is that is quite an adventure, especially hearing that you started a company during a freaking recession and still succeeded. And, you know, using what we would call today very growth hacking skills, where it's like, yeah. you know, using you know your PowerPoint slide of the presentation to go viral. And that's that's all new concept. I mean, nowadays we understand those concepts a lot and we hear it a lot in entrepreneurship. But just keep in mind, this is 08, man. This is uh, yeah. 13 years ago. So yeah, essentially, no. we were at the front of the line and being pioneering in a space where these words did not exist before, right? Instagram was not a big thing. Facebook was still kind of getting there, you know, back in 08, 09. But yeah, this is is the generation where you can still poke people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. (laughs) That, I mean, that was definitely, you know, Facebook was still kind of like getting big and it it wasn't even big back then. It was just like starting to grow at that time. So. I think yeah. we're still in the MySpace generation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some ways, you know, we grew off that a lot. But man, walk us through like the, the sale of your first company and transitioning over into being a quote unquote successful founder. Sure. And yeah. I, um, I kind of want to know too, like 
I mean, after you answered her question, what in the right mind made you come back for a second round of pain? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a fun one. I I still ask myself that sometimes, but so exiting Florat was, was a really awesome opportunity. I I got to do something that I've never done before, which was sell a company in which, you know, we had employed people and grew it to a sizable revenue number. And it was just something that, you know, we, we had bootstrapped the company. So it was just three names on the cap table, me, Vine and Jordan. And, and, and really weird, like to think about that now and, and to realize that, that that's sort of an anomaly and not necessarily the norm, but it was an amazing experience going through working with the deal team. Like we had a phenomenal deal team as we were preparing to sell the company. I didn't know what I was getting into. So like a lot of things in Florat, it was like my first time doing fill in the blank. And I got to run the gamut of all the different functional areas and kind of spin them up, hire a new exec and, and, and selling the company was no different. I was like, okay, I'm coming in really cold. And we had two amazing investment eye bankers that were sort of like guiding and coaching me through the process in terms of like how I should probably be engaged. But I was involved in almost every single conversation of every single potential suitor uh, or potential acquirer. And it was long. I mean, all I can say is like selling a company feels kind of similar to like raising capital for a company right now. And the engagement was super deep. The diligence was super deep, but it is very different than raising money for a company too, because like there's so much that was already built. So in a lot of ways, I was almost just, you know, bring people into the fold a lot of times to kind of show them like the things that we built that were like, this is super innovative. Here's how we do it. You know, this is, uh, ultimately how the company works and even talking through the culture, the, the reasons why and everything. So great experience. So I sold the company and I had this feeling of like, I was relishing it for a little bit, right? Like maybe a solid month or so. I was like, this is great. Like, I don't know if I need to do anything anymore. And then I just started getting this feeling and it was hard to shake it, which was, what am I doing with my life? You know, like, am I doing enough you know, having exit doesn't mean like I was, I was retired. It just meant that I had the opportunity to kind of take a step back and think. And it, it just felt like the, the fire was still there. I wanted to like go and do something different. And I thought about where I was in life at the time and realized it was like, life is pretty short. So we don't have a lot of years here in, in this world. And, and I wanted to do something that really felt like I was aligned with my purpose. And when I had built Fuller out, it was great because we were solving a business problem and I was coming out of college. So everything's new and it's fresh, but I felt like it never was like truly part of my own identity of like, I want to solve this problem for the world. And so I started spending a lot more time introspecting and I was now all of a sudden a steward of my own, my own wealth and then having to make investments. And that's when I started getting into real estate. So looping back to like my childhood story, my family was always into real estate. Like the desire was always there to be financially free and have homes that you can cash flow from. And, you know, owning a restaurant is this crazy, like active income. It's like super intense. You're operating all day long. And the desire was always there to like, be able to not have to do that. Those, this is my parents sort of like retirement plan. And I, I remember hearing this a lot and, and talking about it and not really understanding it. But as I started looking into it, I was like, this is actually pretty cool. So I started getting into a number of different investments and I, I finally got to, uh, after doing a few private equity funds, after stepping into a few direct investments, I thought, oh my God, this is actually amazing because it gives me the ability to, to be more entrepreneurial, to feel like I'm getting, reclaiming my life. And I thought this opportunity here makes a lot of sense for my family and my friends. 
And I had a huge moment where I felt like things weren't fair because it was only available to credit investors, you know, like being able to step into these private equity real estate funds. And I started getting curious. I started, you know, thinking through like, okay, maybe there's something that I want to do here. And and kind of in a lot of ways, honoring that, that drive, I just sort of dig, dug into it a bit more and more and more. And then thinking, I'm like, what am I good at? I'm like, I'm certainly not good at real estate yet, but I'm like, I'm pretty good at, you know, tech building a product and then thinking through like how I construct business and the desire to help was there. So that's really what I would say was inspiration to go pursue what now is sort of the, what now is the idea of concrete and what, what really was what started. That was like the first domino that fell. Wow. I just wanted to also commend you because this, I think this is a really good time to have this podcast with you because it was just announced last week that Concrete had closed $6 million in seed funding and the app launched last week. So congratulations on that, Sean. That's, thank that's you. such a huge feat. Yeah, thank you. I would say, you know, this is a huge team effort and a lot of people have really put their hands and minds into this problem. And it's it's awesome to be able to bring something like this to the market where we are now coming. I think when I think about the economy, it's like opportunities like this have a lot of meaning, especially with the public markets and how volatile things are. People are like, you know, the fear is starting to increase, inflation starting to increase. Like, you know, it's, it, it seems like this is the time where alternatives make a lot of sense. And I'm just so happy to be able to be, you know, one of the companies, phenomenal tech companies, like be able to bring this to the market for, for the broader audience. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome, man. And congratulations. I mean, that's, for our listeners, John and I met a couple of times uh, for almost two years, three years now. Time flies, yeah. huh? We we're just talking that about flies. real estate, you know, and, you know, yeah. came to me with this crazy crowdfunding idea. At first, you know, I knew in your ability that you were able to execute, but I had, I sort of had an idea, but not really had an idea of what type of vision you were trying to build. But seeing that all come to life and seeing like, you know, you put a lot of effort and grit into this company, like you're constantly like, learning like you're constantly learning and applying and building which is to me absurd because you're, you're you're basically in a new industry you're learning about a new topic and you're and you were able to understand the nuance behind the scenes in order to create technology behind it i think that statement is extremely underrated it's like to understand something new to build a solution for it it's absurd and i have to commend you for that so congratulations for that so yeah so walk us through like like concrete Right. Because yeah. we, we know it's, it's real estate related, it's crowd, it's crowdfunding related, but I have to walk us through concrete. How does it work? You know, I know you launched last week and at the time of this recording, it is currently September, uh, late September. So for you listeners who are, when we release this podcast uh, in a month or so, I want you guys to sort of refer back and understand that this is late September, not whenever date when we release. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, walk us through concrete, man. Like tell our listeners, like, how can we be involved with this? What is the overall mission statement of that? Where do you hope to take this company in the next five to 10 years? Yeah. So uh, the mission of concrete is to be able to create financial opportunities for people to generate foundational wealth through real estate. And we kind of hold this idea that, you know, real estate is one of the world's oldest asset classes. It's, it's produced, you know, millionaires, billionaires. It's, it's always in, in sort of like a broader portfolio for people that have a lot of wealth. And we got really fascinated when we started digging into how people invest their dollars and what does it look like when you're at certain dollar thresholds for net worth. And we found that, you know, the more and more wealthy you become, the more and more you, you have in private equity or business and real estate, like it's all kind of in that, a lot, a lot in that bucket. And 
you know, you take a look at, you know, an everyday person, like most people, real estate exposure, the real estate exposure is their, their, their own home. If they're lucky enough to have their own home, but it, it's challenging to even think of that. You're, you've been a real estate investor, you are a real estate investor. So you understand that like, it's a liability. It's not really an asset. It's not cash flowing for you. And so I think, you know, like back to my childhood, there's always this, my family wanted to do this. And I think a lot of members on our team also had this desire to be able to generate income and through real estate. And we just looking at the market felt like it was still really hard to access. We spent a lot of time talking with investors of different ages, different income levels to understand like the nuance of what was meaningful for them. And I see a lot of companies right now just opening up the doors through bringing down the dollar amount to access the asset. And as we've done that too, in that particular dimension, but I think in our interviews, the thing that we really learned was this isn't the only thing that holds people back from investing in real estate. It's a very simple thing to think through and go, let's, let's execute this. A tough thing to run a company to be able to handle that. But when you start thinking about truly about like the investor and what does that mean for them in their life, this real estate is complex. It's complicated. There's a lot of nuance to it. And there's just a lot to love that you got to do to get into these investments, especially private ones, you know, publicly traded REITs, I think are, is, is one thing it's super correlated with the stock market. You know, it's, it's something that we wanted to uh, kind of provide people with a different opportunity to get into the private stuff that a lot of people will cut bigger checks for. So yeah, in our interviews, we realized like, God, there's so many more things that are holding people back. It's not just the dollar amount. It's the understanding. It's the access to capital. It's, well, how do I understand what's going on and, and how do I really be connected to my investment? So we, part of our thesis here is like, we're, we're really sort of defining that there's this future of investors and we call them the digital class of investors. And it's the people that are technology, not just technology enabled, but like Technology is a huge component of, of their day-to-day -day life. And they just have a different set of preferences and they're very focused on experience, uh, connectivity. And that that is the audience that we're really going after. And we're trying to be thoughtful around like where could we provide additional opportunities and value? And, and what does real estate mean for that, that group? So our first product that we built is one where it's super easy to get invested. I mean, it operates a lot like a savings account. We actually use a tagline. It's, it's a great way to supercharge your savings strategy by investing into real estate income. And it's a, it's a real estate fund behind the scenes that you're investing into. The mobile application is designed to feel like everything else in the FinTech realm right now, um, to be super simple. And you know we're the first platform on the internet that allows you to earn the moment you tap invest into this real estate fund. So you start accruing the same dividend rate that our investors get like while your money's transferring. And then we also have been paying out weekly dividends and that's sort of the cadence for very different. We're kind of like the new school version of real estate investing is the way I like to think about it. So we have weekly dividends. We, we have weekly liquidity that we promote as well that we work towards. And, it, you know, we're, we're trying to simplify the whole process. And I would say the long-term vision of Concrete is to make real estate investing as simple for those people that want the access and exposure to this asset class to be able to treat it sort of like your betterment of private real estate. It's just something that they could spin up, choose the dimensions and their interests in their portfolio, and we'll start automating, like filling that in for them. That is the goal here. So a much broader vision, but you know, we've kind of, what feels like we've, we've reached this milestone one right now. And, that, and that's the product that we're pursuing. I love that. I mean, honestly, like 
Brian is more knowledgeable in real estate than I am. And so just hearing, you know, the mission behind concrete, you know, for someone who, you know, may not have as much capital or they don't have that education about real estate and commercial real estate behind them, you know, it's super important for them to have like that easy access to real estate and in, in investment. Right. And I know that your app is, you know, it, it just allows just like a few buttons to invest and you can start off as little as like $1 investment, you know, starting investment. I think that's like super important for people to have that like simple foundational knowledge and be able to have easy access to it. And you mentioned that your family is also like really into real estate as well. And to our listeners out there, you know, Sean and Brian and I, we've like met a few times and I met Sean through Brian. So we've talked a few times in person and, you know, obviously your family was very inspirational to you and, you know, creating the businesses that you started. So I want to know a little bit about, you know, your parents and like, you know, your dad and like, were they, you know, were they part of like your inspiration and kind of developing you into having this entrepreneurial mindset and developing the mission behind your brand and your company and everything like that? Yeah, I think, you know, as I, as I go back and, and look at my childhood and sort of, you know, we, we learn a lot from our parents, not not by what they say, because they, they say a lot. And uh, I think what we do is we, we watch. And the one thing that was always this like repeating theme was my parents were always very generous to the community around us in, in terms of giving their time. We had a restaurant so we could give food and that was the thing that we could do. And we, you know, we fed the church, we would bring food to our friends and our um, friends and their families. So I, I think that really impacted me in terms of thinking through like, how do I give back to the community? And, and that's really what was really influential when I was thinking about what I want to do next, like after Sonny Florida. I think in, in terms of like their sophistication of real estate, I would have to fully admit that it was relatively like they never got into doing like an apartment building or anything like that was much bigger in terms of complexity. But the, you know, the, the aspirations I could feel like were always there. So that drive to, to be there, I always felt like that was very much aligned to like what I'm doing today. So I do think a lot about them. I also think a lot about like my friends, like back in Irvine and like, you know, when you're younger, I felt like I was pretty bad with money. And, and, and you, as you get older, you kind of feel like you need to really understand, like, how do you manage money well and how do you have it grow and work for you? And so those, all those things sort of fed into how I was thinking about concrete. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's amazing, man. And then their parents must be very proud of who you are today and what you're able to accomplish. So I just want to put it out there, and you know, I'm personally very proud of you for making Irvine on the, for putting Irvine on that. Yeah. You know, getting more people <laughs> out there to to really hustle from our school and, and do more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a really miscellaneous miscellaneous question. How'd you end up yeah. moving to Seattle, and why did you move to Seattle? Sure. So I, I grew up in NorCal. So I was, you know, kind of looking at my flight path. I'm, I'm very West Coast. We were working in building floor out and we were, we got to the point where like, we need to scale, we need to hire more people. And so we were thinking through a number of cities and Seattle was on the list. So we came to visit Seattle. We came during, I would argue is one of the best times to visit Seattle. So sort of like late summer and it was beautiful. And I was just like, holy crap. I've never seen a city like this before. Like, how come no one's ever told me about this? And we talk as a team, we're like, hey, you know, we're all at the point where we're young enough, we can move. Uh, it wasn't going to be like too insane for a life change. And our team was small enough. So we're all like, okay, we can do it in waves. And we chose Seattle. And then I move and I get here in December and it's like pitch dark. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, what? what? So I felt, fully felt like I got catfished. But we, you know, we had already committed and we started building the company in, in, in Seattle and 
I really came to love it. It, it felt like it was, it was right for me for the, the next chapter of my life. I think I developed a, a terrible and an amazing habit of getting super deep into coffee up here. So got really into like the rose, the, you know, the, the, the grind, the extraction, the express, like pour overs, all of that. And it's just the, the culture was so rich here around that. And I think we're seeing a lot of that now in like San Francisco and LA too. But up here, it was just like, Seattle's known for coffee. I mean, Starbucks is headquartered up here, you know? So just, it was fun to sort of like have that in, infuse my life with something really unique and, and sort of fill out like the next chapter of my life. I'm still here, at, you know, building concrete. My, my co-founder, Jordan, lives here with his family too. And I think the desire to keep concrete in Seattle was really intentional. So if you think about Seattle and what does it mean for this real estate tech space, it's the backyard of Zillow and Redfin. You know, a friend of mine, Ryan, is uh, running arrived homes. And so he's, he's doing single family rentals and, and that's out here. So I think there's just a lot of sort of like innovative approaches to real estate and, and thoughtfulness. And also the network here is, is very strong in terms of like what we can do with tech. And we are also the backyard of Microsoft and Amazon right now. So it, it just feels like it's, it's still a very great place to be. I think that the culture and the city has it's night and day from when I first moved here. I mean, we were the fastest growing city in America for a while and then it dipped and then we're back to that. And I'm seeing it like with the buildings and the cranes and, and people coming in and it's just every year it's different, you know? No lie. So, yeah. like, the coffee culture is so big. It's like so strong. <laughs> like Brian yeah. and I, sometimes we like watch you watch uh, TikTok videos and like people fall in love with coffee so much. That I'm just like, man, I didn't know people were so obsessed with coffee. <laughs> it's it, yeah. We're, we're past the, we're, we're past the age of Folgers. Um, <laughs> there's just so much more nuance to it now. You know, it's like, I think we, well, I, I got to give it up to Starbucks, like great way to teach the whole world how to drink a lot of coffee. But, you know, there's there's way more to it now. It, it's sort of like I, I treat it like wine. There's so much nuance and varietals. And, you know, it's it's fun to think about the origin, the time which it was grown and think through all that because it comes out like if, if you have really nice coffee, like you can taste those notes. Yeah, for sure. So I do have a question. I, I want to know, you know, being a first time founder with Flow Route. What did you learn as a, being a part of Flora? What did you learn and apply to being a second time founder at Concrete? Like, what were some of the things that were like your biggest lessons and you were able to apply it to your second venture? Yeah. So Flora was a really formative set of years for me, you know, just coming out of college, really learning to be an adult, then learning how to manage teams and then learning to be a leader, all of that while growing a business. So there was, there's so many different challenging lessons and chapters in, in that journey. And I think what I came out with at the end of the day, there was a time where I, you know, told you guys, like when I was going to college, I kind of felt like I let my, my mom down a little bit, you know, when she asked me if I could take her to the restaurant and it was hard for me being a leader in this organization in the early days when we started hiring more people, because I always felt like I was going to hurt people's feelings by being very direct with them. And I learned that it's really important that I do share my opinions and, and also to trust my gut and to pull people into that and not be afraid. That was, you know, as, as I exited floor out, I could just see a, a huge change in terms of like how willing I was to even be vulnerable and to expose, you know, my, my thoughts to someone because there's this whole concept, like, don't disrupt the peace, you know, like make sure everyone's happy. And 
at the end of the day, I, I think people want to join a startup because they want to make a difference and they want to feel like they're, they're winning in whatever it is that they're doing. And sometimes in business, when you make everyone happy, you're not necessarily winning as a business. You know, there's a, there's a difference between creating an amazing work environment and creating a phenomenal company. And, and I think, I, I think about that a lot in, in terms of how I'm approaching concrete today. It's still a very, you know, challenging, I would say challenging balance to find. And I'm still going through lessons. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, playing the role of CEO in this, this company right now and bringing on team members. And, and like every day is like a series of new lessons for me. Like, uh, like as, as much as I'm like, okay, foundationally I've changed, I've sort of leveled up in terms of like how I can approach and develop some principles. There's so much amazing nuance to all of this. And it is so cool to get the opportunity to work with people that are, are constantly showing you that like, you can still grow. There's still so much here. And at the same time, being able to build a company faster and, you know, like learning from your mistakes, the past, being able to apply that, like those are all really cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that's amazing, man. To be able to apply lessons, learn, and to be able, even be in the position to sort of apply those lessons is amazing, right? Because a lot of yeah. us are taking the jump right now in our late thirties, mid thirties, early forties, <laughs> and then yeah. the jump way earlier. So shout out for that, man. So we have one final question for you. That question is, what one advice would you give to a UC Irvine student who wants to start their own business right now? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull from Nike right now. Just do it. I, I think when, when we're in college, I'm just putting myself back in like the time I was in college. And it felt like I was trying to learn the system. Like, how do I get this job? How do I do this? And so many, there's just like rules after rules after rules. And I think what they, they don't really tell you in college sometimes is like, just go figure it out, go do it. You know, like just, it, it's okay. Like don't, don't be that afraid to, to give something a shot and to, to, you know, fail. I think all of us are, are, are sort of like taught to not fail. We fear failure, but failure, if you can, you know, and I'm sure there's a, you've had a lot of phenomenal entrepreneurs come through and just say like failure doesn't have to be a bad thing. If you can learn from it and you can learn quick and learn how to apply and get better. And it's just part of the path to then figuring out the right answer. So yeah, if, if there's anyone from Irvine, I would definitely say like, you know, use that time to like, look at yourself too. And like, what's really driving you, especially when you're going to different classes and pay attention to the ones and, and the professors that sort of inspire you because there's something else there. I would dig deeper into that. I, I would say as when I was in college, like, as you know, like I was, I was a dancer. And, and so I would like also do that at night and, and that like, it, it just felt like I, I was just sort of, I didn't spend enough time, you know, looking into myself, introspecting, and, and I just sort of filled up my time with things to do and not learning enough about myself. So that's what I would, I would say, like dig into yourself, dig deep and figure out something and don't be afraid to try it. Wow. I didn't know you were a dancer, Sean. Yeah. I learned something yeah. new today, <laughs> but I love that you mentioned, you know, you kept it simple, just do it. I think that like you mentioned, we have, there's just so many playbooks out there that they say like, you have to follow step-by-step step to become successful. This is how not to fail, but it's like every person's situation is different. You know, like you just have to like go into it and find out what will happen because it's not ever going to go according to plan, but we tend to like idolize these, like follow these playbooks and stuff like that, but you just have to like figure out the situation and just go with it. Yeah. 
I think the, the ability to be flexible and the ability to adapt is, is like a super critical skill. I think for anyone going into like the, the workforce today or coming up with a new company, right? Like these, these markets are so fluid. Um, all the rules are constantly being rewritten. Technology shifts things so quickly. And so the sometimes like, even for me, like I thought I knew something and then, you know, six months later, like the whole situation has changed. I need to adapt. And I think that that's what, I learned as an entrepreneur and it was like a muscle I was building, like adapt and learn and, you know, keep going. For sure. Love it. So Sean, where can our listeners find out more about you and concrete online? Well, they can go to our website, concrete, uh, it's spelled C O N C R E I T like in the real estate investment trust. Uh, and that's concrete.com. You can also find us in the app store that, so we're, we're in both the Apple app store and also the play store. And then if anyone's interested, they can email me. I'm Sean at concrete.com. And I will probably be hanging out in the Facebook group for Asian Hustle Network and on the website. And, you know, I know you guys are planning a conference and planning an event. So if anyone would like to link up there, I'd love to see you guys in person. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Sean. It was amazing learning about your story. Thank you, yeah, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, shout out to Michelle Cheney for introducing us. <laughs> shout out to Michelle. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.